Welcome to Catalyst Christian Church. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here and I want to welcome all who are in person and joining us online today. We are in part three of our series called Fighting the Culture War. What is the Christian to do? Uh, we got an awful lot of engagement online with last week's message about uh, um, the balance of power and gospel and gun ownership. If you missed that, you, it's, it's on our YouTube channel. You can go check that out. Um, that's uh, definitely been one of uh, the most uh, watched ones we've had in a while. And today uh, we're, we're moving into a much less controversial topic. Um, call, uh, we're, we're talking about abortion today. And I the, the, the uh, title is why I no longer support abortion and the main thing today is we're never in the wrong when we choose right uh, you guys I'm the product of public school system and private college uh, secular education system public school K through 12 private secular college uh, only Christian school I ever went to was seminary uh, by the time I was 22 so I was thoroughly schooled in secular education uh, I was in high school when I first heard about abortion, it had been around for a while, and I'm sure people had talked about it, but that's the first time I was actually engaged in this topic. Um, and what I was taught was that abortion was this nice, neat procedure that women go to to, to, to uh, you know, end up. Into pregnancy, uh, it was rational, it was legal, it was safe, it was good. And, and I was taught that anybody who opposed or even questioned this thing was a hick from the backwoods, a repressor of women, a, a, a sexist, an uneducated rube with one strap missing on his overalls with tobacco juice running from his missing teeth. That's what I was basically taught. And I was, I was basically 100% assumed that's what everyone believed. And there, back then in the, in the 90s, there was no real pro-life movement to speak of. Um, so naturally, I went with what I was surrounded with. Uh, what I was taught and assumed that abortion was the new normal, that this is the, it was here to stay, that I was, I was going to be on the side of the enlightened ones. That's where I was. Uh, if someone in my high school or college days would have asked me my thoughts on abortion, I would have gone with the talking points of the day. I would have. Uh, this woman's right to choose, men should stay out of it, child's life uh, would be bad, it'd be better for them not to enter this world, uh, parents can't afford it, rape and incest, all those things. I was thoroughly schooled in those things, as most people have been. Um, and like I said, the way it was presented, it was the new liberation, it was the new thing, and we were breaking free the old ways. But as time went on, and more and more information came out, I completely changed on this topic. I'm going to let you guys kind of walk through that with me, and I was completely and totally changed. And what I was told about abortion in my high school and my college years was incorrect. Um, as a matter of fact, I'd been lied to, as many of you have too. And uh, the information was covered up, the truth was pushed under the table, and as the Bible says, what is done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops, and we're seeing that today, and I, I intend to do some of that today. So uh, the first thing I want to say is that the concept that life is sacred is the exception, not the norm, throughout human history. I don't know if you guys know this or not, Matthew 18, 6, this is something that Jesus said that we just kind of take for granted, uh, but this was radical and revolutionary for the time. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. This was a radical statement of worth of children, because that didn't exist. Um, abuse and neglect of children in this time, the time that Jesus uh, walked, the time of Jesus, was very common. It was a standard. Abortion was very common uh, in, in early societies because children were not valued. There was zero value for children. 
If you're not an adult, you were worth less than a slave in these societies. Uh, the, the, the world that Jesus entered into and, and that this church was started in had a routine practice called exposure. And what exposure was, was when a parent did not like the child, particularly little girls, girls were not valued in that society, they would, they would take that child and leave them in a field or up on top of a mountain and let either the elements or wild animals kill them. Die of starvation, die of exposure. That was very common. That was legal. It was routine. It was very accepted. Um, and the, the most common victims, like I said, were girls. But there's some good news to this, is that some of these infants were rescued. The bad news is they were rescued by pimps and put to work in brothels as early as age two. This was legal, perfectly acceptable within polite society. The church, started by Jesus, was the first institution to value children. All right? Seeing that life is valuable, seeing children is important, sacred, to be protected. We've lived with this concept in America for so long that we think this is normal. That when parents post pictures, yesterday was apparently Daughter Day. How many of y'all uh, knew that yesterday was Daughter Day? Okay? A lot of people took to Facebook to post pictures of their daughters. People from 2,000 years ago would think you're crazy. What are you posting pictures of your child for? What a waste. Seriously. This is Christianity started the concept of all life being sacred, all life, including, including children. And I found this quote from uh, Pascal Emmanuel Gabri. He said this, but really Christianity's invention of children, invention of children, think about that. It, that is the invent, invention of the cultural idea of children being as treasured human beings was really an outgrowth of its most stupendous and revolutionary idea that radical equality and the infinite value of every single human being as a beloved child of God. If the God who made heaven and earth chose to reveal himself not as an emperor but as a slave punished on the cross, then no one could claim higher dignity than anyone else on the basis of earthly status. Boom! That is awesome. The fact that Jesus made himself lower than the lowest all of a sudden destroyed any hierarchy or, or re social ranking, including children. Jesus instituted the concept of the least of these. When he taught in Matthew 25, verse 40, he said, A king will reply, I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus introduced the concept of however you treat the least important, the least, the, the, the most vulnerable, the least, people of least value in society is how you treat him. He identifies with the least, the lowest, the homeless, the child, the unborn child. That is who Jesus identifies with. And he says, whatever you do to them you do to me who is the most vulnerable in society well that's what jesus says is the least of these who could be lower than the unborn who could be more voiceless than the unborn and what we do to the unborn is what we do to jesus very clear in scripture the unborn even it can't even speak up for even even the homeless man or woman on the street can speak up for themselves the unborn can't even do that Unborn are the most valuable, vulnerable, the most voiceless, the most powerless. They are the least on earth. How we treat them is how we treat Jesus. And when I got hold of this concept, God, everything changed within me. Everything changed. There are three turning points in the abortion debate for me. The first is this, the concept of what sin is. 
The concept of what sin is. In Genesis chapter 3, it details that we live in a fallen world, that God created everything perfect, and then when Adam and Eve sinned, everything was wrecked, everything was destroyed. We live in a fallen world. The concept of what sin is is not lost on me. But this is what sin is. Sin is a corruption of the beauty that God created. That's what sin is. See, Satan can't create anything, you guys. He cannot create a single thing. Only he can do, the only thing he can do is take what God created and corrupt it and pervert it and move Move it outside as far away from God's original purpose as possible. So if you want to know what a sin is, look at the corruption of what God designed as good. Okay? When this concept was explained to me, the act of abortion became incredibly dark and twisted. Let's think about what abortion has done to God's design. All right? The person who God designed to care for you, and I say this as a man, as a father... And I, I, I don't even compete here. The person who God designed to care about you the most is your mother. Hands down. Plain, simple. That, and the safest place God designed for you to be is the womb. That is supposed, that's the way God set it up, okay? Uh, there's no doubt about that. Mortally wounded soldiers on the battlefield, they don't cry out for their dad. As much as they may love their dad, they, don't, they want mom. Because they know that mom is the one that cares for them. Mom is the one that cares for them when they hurt Okay, football players on TV yesterday didn't look in the camera and say, hey, dad. They say, hi, mom. And as a dad, I can tell you that my kids don't want me when they're upset or hurting. They don't. They want mom. No two ways about it. They instinctively know mom is a nurturer who will listen and love. They come to me, I'll probably tell them to take a lap. You know, I'm just not, that's God's, that's God's design. That's how he designed it. And everyone half an ounce of sense knows it, but let's look what abortion has done to moms and to wombs. Since 1973, when Roe v. Wade was decided, the, the, the year before I was born, there have been 877,000 murders in America. It's an average of 18,659 murders per year through 2019. That's where the statistics go. That's a lot of murders, you guys. That's a lot. During that same time period, there have been approximately 62 million abortions. That's 61,123,000 more abortions than murders. There are more abortions per year in America. There have been murders in the past 48 years combined. The average life expectancy in America is about 78 years old, so that is 18,659 number takes place over a period of 78 years. You have 78 years where, where you can be murdered. You guys got that? You guys tracking with me? Okay. So murder victims have a time period of 78 years where it can happen. That 1,291,606 abortion number per year takes place over a period of nine months. So we can logically make the case that if you survive your mother's womb, your chance of having your life taken by another goes down significantly. Look what abortion has corrupted. Look what it's done. God's design. Your mother, the woman designed to be your protector, your biggest advocate, the one that cares about you and loves you more than any person on this earth is the one most likely to kill you. The womb, the place designed to nurture you and grow you and protect you from the world is the place you're most likely to be killed. The most dangerous person to you is not a terrorist or a gang member or a serial killer. Your own mother most dangerous place for you is not a high crime neighborhood or a battlefield somewhere. It's the womb. 
Look at what abortion has turned God's design into. Look how it has corrupted it. How horrible it is to say you all. That if children can survive their own moms and their own wombs, how much safer they'll be. How much less likely to have their lives ended by violence at the hands of another. Look at what abortion has done to God's precious, perfect design. Look at what abortion has turned mothers and wombs into. And when I understood what sin was, that it was a corruption, I can no longer support abortion as it is the ultimate corruption of God's perfect design. The second turning point for me was that the concept of who children are. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture says this, For you created my inmost being, the psalmist is talking to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. A person told me that an unborn child is not alive, it's just a blob of cells. Well, I'm a blob of cells, so are you. It's a bad definition. And I stated it was undergoing cellular mitosis. What, are, what other not alive thing is, uh, is undergoing cellular mitosis, cell division, replicating? Tell me one other alive thing uh, that, that isn't doing that. And he said a cancerous tumor. He said a cancerous tumor is undergoing cellular mitosis. And I said, okay, an unborn child's like a cancerous tumor? He said, yes. I said, apples and oranges, they're completely different. He said, why? And I said, a cancerous tumor can only become a cancerous tumor. It can never be anything else. If left to itself, a cancerous tumor will grow and grow and grow until it kills its host. However, if you allow the natural processes of the science to continue with the unborn, after 10 months, the baby will be born and be a new human being, self-sufficient, independent human being. Apples and oranges, don't fall for that argument. I was in my senior year in college when I witnessed the biggest abortion debate I've ever seen live. There's a guy, one guy, one guy, who uh, 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 the, the, the only person at center I knew who was pro-life. Only person. And uh, everyone, especially women, were incredibly pro-abortion. I don't remember what started it or who started it, but I was just privy to this. All of a sudden, this guy and a very aggressive female student were arguing and quickly escalated what was beyond what was normal and natural. And uh, several other female students jumped in against the guy, and they were winning. They were making all the right arguments. They were winning. Uh, how dare men tell women what to do with their bodies? You're sexist. We don't want the government telling us what to do. Get the government out of our bodies. All those things were, and they were just lobbing at him, and, and it looked like he had no answer. Then he cleared his throat. I remember this. Stood up, looked at the ladies, and said, Please just describe to me what happens in an abortion. Dead silence. One of the ladies called him a jerk. He said, I will come over to your side and I will walk away from mine if you describe to me what happens in an abortion and you go get a puppy and you bring the puppy here and you perform on this puppy what is performed on unborn children. If you can do that, then I will walk away from my position. I will walk away from my beliefs. 
One person in the class asked, what happens in an abortion? The guy started to answer, but one of the students who had been arguing with him cut him off. He said this, in a partial birth abortion, the baby's delivered feet first, facing down, though the head's still inside, the rest of the baby's outside. The doctor takes scissors, cracks the skull, base the skull, opens it up, sucks the brain out. And the, the, the one person said, well, that's not how all abortions are. And the lady continues, said, no, there are abortions where saline solution is injected and it burns the baby's skin so they come out charred. And then there are abortions done by vacuum where arms and legs are ripped off. There are abortions done by forceps where the same thing happens, where arms and legs are ripped off. And the abortion doctor actually has to assemble the baby because if there are any parts left inside, they could, they could lead to infection. So after an abortion, you see body parts, legs, arms, head, chest. And then a student said, but that's not fair because a lot of the abortions are done early when the nervous system isn't developed and it can't feel a thing. And the guy answered, so if there's this guy in a wheelchair here who didn't have feeling his legs, we could just chop him off, that'd be moral just because he's not feeling it? That would be moral? And then another person said, listen, you're being mean to, to people living in poverty because poverty causes abortion. Po- these abortions, if we could eliminate poverty, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have abortions. And the guy said this, he said, Well, if child abuse was caused by poverty, would we let it go? What if stealing was caused by poverty? Would we okay stealing? What other things are we going to, what what other crimes are we going to uh, allow because poverty causes them? It was the first time I'd ever heard what actually happens in an abortion. Someone said America supports abortion because America has not seen abortion. When America sees abortion, they will stop supporting it. Abortion is not a nice, neat, clean procedure. It is death. It's violent. And we could not stand watching it being done to a puppy. Why do we allow it done to our children? The third thing that happened when I moved away from supporting abortion was that understanding the concept of abortion as a business, and this may be the sickest part I've ever seen, As bad as those other two things were, this may be the sickest thing I've ever seen. Ephesians 6.12 says this, Apostle Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against people seeking abortion. Uh, we're, We're not against those types of things. We are against what is known as a principality, which is a force of evil. And the abortion industry is a principality. It is a force of evil in our nation. All right? The first thing the abortion industry does is give us a false face. Did you know that? We visualize the scared teen. Actually, only 17% of abortions are done, who get abortions are teens. 50% are for women 25 years and older. Did you know that? About 60% have already had one child. These are people who are already mothers. Disproportionate rates among minorities. About 13% of women in America are black, but yet they account for 35% of abortions. Abortion clinics are overwhelmingly placed in minority neighborhoods. 
That's not rocket science. This is by design. Planned Parenthood, which is the largest provider of abortion services in America, was founded by Margaret Sanger, a vicious racist who started Planned Parenthood to eliminate the races she seemed as undesirable. You can look that up. Here are three quotes from the founder of Planned Parenthood, readily accessible on the internet. First, the masses of Negroes, particularly in the South, still breed carelessly and disastrously, with the result that the increase among Negroes, even more than among whites, is from that portion of the population least intelligent and fit. Second quote, the most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. So out of those two thought processes, she's designed this strategy for Planned Parenthood. Quote number three. Covertly invest in non-white areas. Invest in ghetto abortion clinics. Help to raise money for free abortions in primarily non-white areas. Perhaps abortion clinic syndicates throughout North America that primarily operate in non-white areas and receive tax support should be promoted. You understand the racist roots of abortion in America. Planned Parenthood is currently the largest funder of sex education in America's schools. Amazing. Isn't that interesting? Aren't, they aren't teaching abstinence. We've all heard the stories of what is being taught in the videos and the explicit sex that they are talking about in schools. Do you think that's for a reason? Now we get it. They promote sex to our sons and daughters, and then they're right there to provide the abortion when the teen gets pregnant. Kind of like the computer antivirus software companies that create the virus and then create the cure. Create the market, then create the cure. The average first trimester abortion costs $508. That second trimester is $1,105. And the third trimester abortion is $3,000. The abortion industry rakes in approximately $1.3 billion every year, including $530 million in government subsidies. These are not people looking out for women. They aren't. They're not trying to provide, trying to help people. They're not. They make billions of dollars off of abortion, and may God forgive us for allowing such evil. But what is the church's response? These are three things that move me away from my support of abortion to being incredibly pro-life, realizing that I, when I actually saw abortion, turned away from it, so what's the church's response? First thing is we continue to speak truth. We continue to speak truth from this beginning. America has never been able to decide what a person is. Think about this, you all. From its beginning, we have never been able to define what a person is. The people that America has decided aren't human have been the victims of the worst atrocities that this nation has ever committed. When the Constitution was being put together, the Three-Fifths Compromise, decided that slaves were three-fifths of a person because slaves weren't people and therefore weren't human. They justified treating them as animals. Very convenient, especially for the people who made a lot of money off the practice of slavery. 
Fast forward to current times with people who say the unborn really aren't human and therefore aren't deserving of rights justify killing them in the womb. They aren't people, you see, because, because of that we rob them of their humanity and their dignity and we, and we do with them as we see fit. Very convenient, especially for those who make a lot of money off the practice of abortion, like I said, $1.3 billion per year. Same tactic, different century. Take away personhood, you can rob, you can do anything you want to them. Open season. There's nothing that isn't justified if we can define a person as, non, as a non-person, as subhuman. Define someone as less than a human and rights disappear, respect disappears, and look what happens in history when a group of people robbed of their humanity, labeled as subhuman. And it's not just America. Nazi Germany committed to try to kill six million Jews in 1930s and 1940s by labeling them subhuman. And by labeling them subhuman, not alive, not people, they justified carting them off into camps and gassing them in gas chambers. They weren't human, you see, so it was okay. The worst events in history of humanity happen when one group of people decides another group is not human. Christian faith states that people are made in the image of God. And therefore, all from the least to the greatest are deserving of humanity and rights and dignity and respect. Never stop preaching that truth. All people are made in the image of God, including the unborn. We've allowed culture to define the unborn as not human, not alive, and look what's happened to them, 62 million children made in God's image, killed legally since 1973, simply because they aren't human. The second thing that we can do after speaking the truth that all people are made in God's image, second this, is that we can support single mothers. Now I understand it's not just single women who get abortions, I get that. But as a church, we need to support single moms who choose life. And chose life would have been much more convenient to, uh, to, to abort. To all you single moms who chose life and took the, took the hard road, thank you. I say it publicly, thank you for choosing life. Thank you for taking the hard road, the inconvenient road. Thank you for bringing your child into this world. I'm so glad you're a part of this church. I make no apologies for that. Thank you for choosing life. Those of you that knew you couldn't support a child and couldn't raise a child, and made the brave decision to give him or her up for adoption. Thank you. Thank you. We need to support people who make the right decision. That's, who, that's what we need to do as a church. Third thing we can do is support crisis pregnancy centers. This past Monday, Rachel and I were invited to uh, a fundraising dinner for the Avenues for Women, uh, which is a, a crisis pregnancy center in Frankfurt. Uh, we heard a speaker who, was, who 12 years ago had been an addict living with her dealer. And she found out that she was pregnant. And she, um, she thought that Avenues for Women was an abortion clinic. <clears throat> and so she went there to have an abortion. And she found out that there were actually options. They gave her an ultrasound. She got to see her baby. And she decided to choose life. And then the daughter came up on stage, the one who was going to be aborted, and spoke to us about abortion, how she was almost killed. 
And she spoke about her four other siblings that she, that, that she had because her mom and her dad got clean, got married, and now have five kids and are huge pro-life advocates. Powerful. Very powerful. We need to support those who do the work of, of helping and counseling mothers. We've heard that four out of five women who are given ultrasounds and actually see their babies choose life. Of course they do. Of course they do. Once, you, once your baby has a face and, a, and, 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 and everything, it's very difficult to choose abortion. It's very difficult to see it as a blob of cells. It's a person. <clears throat> there are powerful political forces trying to stop moms from getting ultrasounds. All right, because they know this. So we need to support these pregnancy centers. You can financially contribute. You can volunteer. Shoot, maybe some people in here, in here, maybe some women, maybe some men could start one here in Nicholsville. I know that there's one in, in Lexington. It's called Assurance. I don't know if there's one here. What if a bunch of people got passionate about that and started out of this church? Started it. Be amazing. The fourth thing we can do is we can engage in orphan care. If we truly value life, let's open our homes and our families to those children whose parents chose life. Let's double the number of foster and adoptive families. There's a community group starting here for foster and adoptive parents, specifically for you. Sorry about Alex and Bailey Fogel. You can talk with them or come see me. If you are interested in that or that's something you want to do, come see me. We'd, uh, anywhere between a third to 40% of the children running around this church at any given time are foster or adopted because you all have taken this, uh, taken this on and I've got nothing but praise for you. Thank you. And if every church in America was like this one when it came to foster care and adoption, there would be no foster care system. We could eliminate it if every church simply adopted one child. I want to end with this. Simply called, We Chose Life. A doctor suggested abortion for our son. Many of you know my story. Many of you don't. Back in 2004, we received the devastating diagnosis that our third child, Jacob, was, had a heart defect, 100% fatal without surgery, called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Um, when, we went, when we got that ultrasound, we were sent to a high-risk OB. And... The high-risk OB confirmed the hypoplastic left heart diagnosis. And then she looked at us and she said this, most parents, when they receive this news, choose to abort. I knew that I was pro-life, but I didn't know how much until a doctor suggested that we abort our son. We told her in no uncertain terms that we would not, we would not be doing that. Fortunately, she didn't press the issue. Five months later, Jacob was born after unsuccessful heart surgery on September 14th. Uh, we had to make the painful decision to remove him from life support, and he died on September 15th. A short 10-day life. Should we have aborted you all? I mean, think about it. His stay in the NICU and surgery cost about $200,000. Now, now, we had health insurance, but still, it's going to be expensive even though we had insurance, had to pay, pay quite a bit. His short life was full of tubes and wires and pick lines, and he never saw the outside of the hospital, never saw daylight. He, was, he never felt the wind on his face. He, he, never saw, he never got to go to the zoo. He never got to go to school, never got to play sports, never got to do any of that stuff, right? Not much of a life, the pro-abortion crowd would say. 
But this is what I say. During his little 10-day life, he was loved. He was given a name, Jacob Benjamin Kibler. He was prayed for. He was held. He was sung to. He was read to. He was kissed. And he was loved on by his family. He was part of a family. And when he died, he died surrounded by that family. When he died, he died of natural causes, not being violently ripped apart by a doctor's forceps in the place designed to nurture and keep him safe. He died being held by his father with his little hand wrapped around his dad's finger. He had a funeral. He has a grave marker. He's my son. That's why I'm so opposed to abortion, you all. It robs the unborn of their humanity. Everyone deserves to be given a chance at life. Some lives are short. My son's life was only 10 days. It doesn't matter. He was treated as a human being. He was held, loved, kissed, talked to, sung to, as a baby should be. And when he died, he was given the same respect and honor as everyone else, a funeral. My heart was broken when he died, and I still grieve today from time to time. It's an awful thing to see your children die. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But remember this, people. Non-viable does not mean non-human. At no point in his existence did he start being a human being. He was human from the, day, from the time his 46 chromosomes came together to form a new genotype, a new human. I'm glad he was treated as a person his whole life. The unborn are our children. They are our own flesh and blood. And they're counting on us. They need us. They can't protect themselves. Since 1973, it's been legal to kill them. So terrible. May God forgive us. May we as a nation use life. I invite the band to come up. The reason that I decided to speak this today is because so many of you out there, particularly our young people, have been lied to like I was. I was propagandized. I was told all of the things, and I was lied to and I was deceived. I did not know what abortion really was. Life is God's territory. It is a gift from Him that only He can give. And for us as a church, we must hold that life up. We must talk about the dignity of all people, of not taking a group and deciding they're not human. We've done that enough here in America, and we've done that enough through history. No more. No more. People are made in the image of God, and the church must get that message out every single day that we exist. Thank you all as a church choosing life. And if anyone in here is considering abortion or has had an abortion, about a third of American women have. Probably there are people in here who have. God loves you. God forgives you. That is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus' death on the cross covers that too. If any of you find yourself pregnant, an unwanted pregnancy, please, I'm begging you, choose life.
Choose life because it's God's perfect gift.